here we are, 2020, off to a roaring start. I hope that uh, you are doing well. I hope that uh, whatever day it is that you're listening to this podcast, it is a great day, and I hope that 20 minutes from now you can say that it's even a better day that you've spent this time thinking about how to live wisely and faithfully in this uh, wonderful world that God has created and given to us that is also a world that is deeply and desperately fallen. And I think all we have to do is look around and we know that to be true. So as I'm uh, starting my new year, I'm reading all these articles about church. And of course, I come across one that's rather popular from the Washington Times titled, Losing Our Religion, America Becoming, quote, Pagan as Christianity Seeds to Culture. And as I just thumbed through the article, I've got a bunch of things underlined. Um, Here's one of the things that's uh, concerning to this author. Uh, In the states, blue laws have been wiped away delivering Sunday from God over to the NFL shopping and youth sports. And then I think the money quote of the entire article that kind of summarizes the point that the author is making is uh, religion slash Christianity will wither in 2020. And of course, the statistics bear that out. But I want to talk with you about how that is not the case and um, what you and I can do to um, certainly uh, stave off that uh, terrible prognostication. So I'm a church guy, and as you know, I'm a Presbyterian minister, and I love the church. And it has been uh, central to my life in, from the very beginning. I, I honestly can say that I, I don't think I've ever missed two weeks in a row of worship ever. I mean, in the summers, I worked at a camp, but we had worship there at the camp. Weekly, when I was in college, I would walk to church. I was no angel, but I would walk to church. Um, Lived in a fraternity house, and I can remember on Sunday mornings, stepping over the debris from the night before and the people from the night before and actually walking to church. And I think that one of the reasons I've been so drawn to church is that it is the vehicle God has used to teach me patience and forgiveness. God has used the church to teach me grace and courage. He's used the church to teach me perseverance and humility. And I want to talk with you about Jesus's image of the church. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 16. And you probably are going to recognize this, but there's a word in here that is really, really important for us to understand. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, Jesus was asked, or he asked actually, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. A lot going on there. I I think that when we read Jesus saying, you are the rock, um, of course, he's changing Simon Peter's name from Simon to Peter, and of course, Peter is derived from the word for rock. And we talks about building his church on the rock. I believe he's building his church on that confession of faith that Peter made. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That is the foundation of, of the church. But the word I want to think about with you mainly from this text is the word church. You see, we read here that the church was Jesus's idea. 
And the word itself is ekklesia, which is a Greek word, which means to call out of and assemble. So the image of the church is, if you can put your mind around this, is we are being called out of a certain place to assemble in another place. And I think it's surprising to a lot of us that when Jesus used the word ekklesia, he was actually appropriating a Roman military term. The ecclesia in Jesus' day would gather with the Roman Empire. So imagine like 5,000 people gathering around the Roman emperor, and they would learn about the emperor's desires for the empire. And then in smaller groups, the ecclesia would fan out into the conquered lands, and they would live among the people in those conquered lands. And they would represent the will of the emperor. And they would teach people what it meant to be a part of the empire. I mean, they would essentially create Roman culture there. Uh, the ecclesia was responsible for literally spreading the Roman empire. And so they influenced the language in those conquered lands. They influenced commerce in those conquered lands. They kept order in those conquered lands. They settled disputes in those conquered lands. They were Rome in the conquered land. And naturally they would change the culture the longer they were there. Think about what Jesus is doing here. It's amazing. He is essentially saying, you know that Roman ecclesia, you're familiar with that? You are now going to be my ecclesia. You're going to represent me out in the culture. You're going to teach people what it means to be a citizen of my kingdom. You're going to live among the citizens. You're going to influence their culture. You're going to influence their lifestyle. You're going to influence the way they talk, the way they interact with one another, the way they settle disputes with one another. You're going to do all those things as my ecclesia. Think of the consequences of that image of church. You know, it's not just about an institution. It's really about a movement of people who assemble together and then they fan out and they influence the people around them for the sake of Christ. And essential to the concept of ecclesia was the model that the ecclesia would be together. They were not only together in terms of their mission, but they actually routinely met with one another. They were an assembly of people. A great passage as you think about church. And you think about the concept of being together as the people of God and why that's important is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writes these words, The mystery of Christ is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The word together is emphasized there. God's people are heirs of God's promises together. Members of God's ecclesia together. Sharers in God's work and ministry and promises together. And I'm emphasizing the word together because you and I are having trouble being together. Our culture is spending less and less time together. We just are. We're more fragmented. We're more separated we don't want to hang out with people who are different than we are, who have different views than do we. We just want to be with people who are like us and like-minded. We don't like to assemble like we once did. We don't like to congregate like we used to congregate. And I can quote to you, and I have before, 
you know, movie theater attendance, sporting events attendance, things like that. I found an interesting study about cultural trends in the year 2020. And this writer who has studied this carefully, a sociologist, predicts that more than 50% of all restaurant spending in the year 2020 will be off-premise. In other words, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Carryout, and the like, half the money that is spent at restaurants will be spent by people who aren't even going to that restaurant. Why? Because we want to enjoy the benefits of that food, but we don't want to eat it with other people. We want to eat it with our people. We don't want to congregate in a, in a room where there are people we might not know or who might be of a different persuasion than we are, whatever that persuasion might be. No, we want to take the food, we want to go to our own place, and we want to eat the food with exactly who we want to eat it with. We don't like to be together. And I think that is happening more and more. And so when this author talks about the, the religion in America and Christianity seeding the culture, I think part of that is just in general, we are not people who are congregating and joining together. I'm a member of a Rotary Club I've shared with you before. and Or I used to be a member of a Rotary Club. When I moved away, I have not reaffiliated. But clubs like Rotary and Kiwanis and the Lions and the Optimists and just different social clubs, country clubs, you name it, are just struggling to find people who want to be associated in something like that. And so... I want to transfer this over to thinking about our faith. And let me ask you a basic question. Can you, can I, be a Christian alone? It's very appealing, isn't it? Can, I, can we just be a Christian by ourselves, with nobody else? I recently read a, an article that was um, written by someone who was being very critical of the church. And I'm going to say his name is John. It may be John. It might not be John. But anyway, John, in this little tear-stained kind of article, talks about how he loves Jesus, but he doesn't love Jesus' people. And he paints this picture of the church like, you know, I don't, I don't like being around people who are bigoted and people who have these different phobias and uh, people who have these different prejudices. And I don't like being around people who are mean. And I'm thinking, John, where are you going to church? Because, I mean, I don't mean to rant here, but that doesn't sound like the churches I know. I don't think churches are defined by being angry or hostile or hateful. We're not defined by what we oppose. We're defined by what we stand for. But yet there's just this kind of image out there right now where I want to love Jesus, and we do as individuals, but I want nothing to do with those other people because those people are bad, and I'm good, like John. John is good. Well, you and I cannot be a Christian alone because once we make that confession that Peter made. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, you are the God's chosen, anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Once we make that confession, we're automatically a part of the ecclesia of Jesus, that assembly of God's people. Elsewhere in the Bible, it's called the body of Christ. And so God calls us to be together. That's his model. That's his design. I mean, I have people who will say to me from time to time, you know what? I like to be, I like to have church alone. And there's, sometimes we have to do that. I mean, when I speak on Sunday mornings and lead worship, I'm aware that there are 100, 200 people who are actually worshiping remotely online. And, and sometimes they have to do that. Uh, but what, <laughs> and that's, that's better than not at all. 
And certainly we can learn alone, we can pray alone, we can in some ways worship alone, but if a person is choosing to avoid interaction with God's people, they are missing the point of the ecclesia. God calls us to be together. Again, go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Together is emphasized. And when those Roman ecclesias were formed in these different conquered lands, it wasn't just isolated individuals. They would congregate and gather. So I think about what we want out of life. And I think you would probably agree that we all want to see good fruit in our lives. I mean, I think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we're walking with Christ, we enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, faith and love and patience and goodness and joy and self-control and other wonderful characteristics such as that. We want to see those things in our lives. I think we all want to see the development of spiritual gifts in our lives, to have that spiritual power to live our lives. But here's the thing to think about today. Being together comes before the fruit. Being together comes before the gifts. God calls us to be with one another and then through the Holy Spirit begins to develop those gifts. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, Paul or someone who was associated closely with him wrote these words. Let's not give up meeting together. There's that word again, together, as some are in the habit of doing. So apparently there were some who were like, you know what, this whole congregating thing, this whole assembling thing, not for me. So let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The meeting together encourages the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The meeting together encourages the gift and the spiritual power that God wants to give us in our lives. It is formed in part by the ecclesia. I like a lot of different images when I think about church. And again, like I said, I'm a church nerd and I totally get that. Um, I like the image of the church as a hospital for sinners. I like the image of the church as a team because I love sports. But my favorite image for church is the image of a greenhouse. When I was young, I spent quite a bit of time with my father, who was an ornamental horticulturist, in greenhouses. And greenhouses are ideal environments for growing certain plants. Uh, a greenhouse has the ideal temperature and the ideal lighting and amount of lighting, the ideal amount of water, the ideal amount of fertilizer. And because all of that is ideal, the plants grow. It can be snowing outside and there are tulips growing inside the greenhouse. If you and I want to grow in our lives, to grow to bear that fruit that we all want, and to have that spiritual power and giftedness that we all want, the church is our greenhouse. I mean, I look around the church I serve at all these incredible people sitting in these pews. Again, John, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, who's talking about how I want to be you know, a follower of Jesus, but I don't want to be like all these people. I don't know where that dude's going to church. But when I look around, I see incredible gifts, but I also wonder how many gifts and how much good fruit resides in those pews that we have not even seen yet that God is going to break forth. It's, it's, it's wonderful to think about that incredible potential. And so I circle back to the author of that article about how uh, Christianity 
will wither in 2020. I do not believe that's true. I believe that if you and I sincerely want to see God at work in our lives and sincerely want to see God make that fruit in our lives and God give us that spiritual power, we learn a lot of that by interacting with one another in the church. And, you know, church can be hard. Church can be frustrating. We all make our mistakes. But again, think back to one of those things I said a few minutes ago about why I love the church. God uses the good, the bad, and even the ugly to grow us, to make us more like Christ, to teach us patience that we need, to teach us how to be forgiving and gracious and courageous and persevering and humble. God does that through the ecclesia. All right, that's a mouthful. I feel like I've ranted today. Maybe I will call this my 2020 kickoff rant. But whatever the case might be, I hope that uh, you received it well and it gave you some food for thought. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this foundation, the, the affirmation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. God has designed the church to be that instrument and that vehicle to grow you and me into the people he wants us to be. So I hope you find a church, and I hope you get there the next Sunday you can possibly get there. All right, have a great week, and I will look forward to our next visit next week. Bye now.